Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, the podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991. From the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between, we will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watch Other People's Money. And this is John, and thank you for joining us on 1991 Movie Rewind. In Other People's Money, Danny DeVito plays a Wall Street magnate named Lawrence Garfield, who has made his fortune through hostile takeovers. His latest target is New England Wire and Cable, a manufacturer that employs almost an entire town in Rhode Island. The company isn't going to go down without a fight, because the owner's daughter is a very determined lawyer. Screenplay by Alvin Sargent. Directed by Norman Jewison and released on October 18th, 1991. So have you seen Other People's Money before? No, I haven't. Does this mean, is this like the first movie that we've watched that you have not seen before, I think? Okay, once again, I remember... I think it maybe has to do with Penelope and Miller. Okay. Because I thought I saw this because I was like, I've seen her. I don't know. Yeah. I think maybe because she was um, really, she she had a lot of movies during the late 80s, early 90s as kind yeah, of like an is, it girl in a way. This is kind of her prime. Yeah. And I always remember, I remember seeing her in something and I thought it was this, or maybe it was commercials or something, but I remember her just always dressing very regal, like off the shoulder type dresses, which she was wearing in this movie. Uh And maybe that was just the 90s thing for women to always wear. And then I thought that she was Danny DeVito's girlfriend. Okay. But Which, I do not we'll remember that. The, yeah, I <laughs> we'll do not remember this movie at all, so I, this is my first time watching it. Okay. But yeah. in my third like 30 years ago brain when I was a 10, 11-year-old, I thought I saw you this because that. I remember her in a movie wearing, you know, sexy dresses. But it wasn't this movie, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, that's the answer to your question. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm sort of... But I think, yeah, this is the first movie where we both watched this for the first, for the time. first time together. Which is interesting. Yeah. Um, took, what, nine episodes to get there. Um, yeah, I think this is the first time I've seen it as well, but I think my confusion was I get this movie confused with The Super starring Joe Pesci. For some okay, reason, okay. I don't really fully know why. I, I'm not sure if I'm... Because, you know, Joe Pesci and Danny DeVito are really not that similar. But, like, it's just... They're just short, Yeah, they're both just, yeah, men. They're, they're short, angrier men. And maybe... And, like, I know this is sort of like a pseudo-comedy, and I remember watching The Super and not feeling like it was very funny to a kid. Yeah. And I don't really remember that movie all too much beyond that, so... I think that's sort of where my confusion was, but 
No, never seen this before. So, first impressions? <laughs> I, th this entire movie, I was just thinking, why was this made? <laughs> okay. But, I mean, yeah, it's to based, get, to it's get based other off of money. a play. Yeah, I get it. I it's saying, based yeah. off a play. I think I was A, too young, and then I'm also, like, not into, like, stockbroker, like, Wall right. Street type stuff then and then especially now so this doesn't like it's not appeal to me yeah yeah i mean um the play written by jerry sterner i didn't mention that at the beginning um he wrote the original play um yeah i, I don't know it, it's it's a weird thing i, I understand why i was probably made just because they they took a popular stage production and they wanted yeah, to yeah. adapt it into something um and the cast is fantastic in terms of name power yeah performances we'll get into it probably you know in a bit but in terms of name power they thought well you know we can at least turn some sort of modest profit and maybe make this into some sort of a, an awards thing for acting um they just ran into a powerhouse year in terms of acting and <laughs> plus didn't really turn out massive performances. And so I think that's why it was released in, you know, mid October. Cause they realized they couldn't compete with some of those late year releases that are typically the, the awards favorites. And they just kind of cut their losses. It's my guess, but yeah, I, I mean, it wasn't interesting. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, I'm I'm not really into the Wall Street side of things, but I enjoy movies that have... Like, a, corporate structure. Because the movie Wall Street like is... power struggles. Okay, I think yeah. It's really the, the, the key. So, like, regardless of the setting, if you have, you know, an interesting power struggle or people playing, like, this cat and mouse game with mm -hmm. each other, then I'm interested. You know, like, something like Social Network... Okay. You know, like seeing the interplay between um, Jesse Eisenberg as Mark, Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, the lawyers and, and all that kind of stuff like that. Yeah. To him kind of outsmarting yeah, a lawyer. Exactly. That kind of thing is, is fascinating to me. This, they tried to set it up that way where you have Penelope Ann Miller as uh, the lawyer slash daughter going against Danny DeVito as, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the ruthless, greedy, self-centered, whatever uh, person. They, they try to set it up in such a way that there's going to be some sort of a bouncing act or, you know, that they're playing each other or that, you know, they're setting themselves up for the next move in the chess game. But it's never pays off never no i kind of didn't know what was going on yeah and i think part of that is that i feel like you have to have some the way they they describe the the situation through the the dialogue is it seems like you have to have some sort of baseline understanding of what some of these terms are 
like right. you know related to corporate buyouts and, and stock options and, and yeah the percentage like you know I'll buy this out if you have twelve percent of this and we own thirty percent of that yeah and they go into very technical terms of in terms of like acquisitions and mergers it, yeah. and buyouts and corporate rating and all this other stuff. I think stuff. that's just like a very 80s thing. Yeah, maybe because, it was I mean, more prevalent watching back then. stuff like you know, Working Girl where mm. she's like in mergers and I still don't know what mergers and acquisitions is <laughs> to this day. Yeah. I know I know there's people in finance that can probably you have to explain like especially math type stuff to me like I'm a toddler cuz yeah. I still do not get it. Yeah, when you get into some of the more complex things like shorting a stock and things like that, then I'm completely lost. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like mergers and acquisitions is basically just a department who are trying to identify companies where you can uh, you know, buy them out, buy them out, and absorb them into the company and become a larger company, right? Or you like merge two companies together to make them more financially That's viable. That's I'm stuff just like thinking. That. So about, I guess it was really huge. I mean, I know. There's a ton of movies were yeah, huge in the eighties. Yeah, yes. that was the thing. I mean, even you know, like you know, Wolf of Wall Street. That even you know, that's based off of you know a real life thing. So mm-hmm. that that was happening during that time. I mean, we. I was a kid, and I don't. I didn't care then, but I, I don't really care now. Yeah. It, no, I I agree. I think the and 80s then I'm thinking sort of, yeah. of like I mean, do they don't. You don't hear much about it now, like at all. I mean, I, I'm sure it exists. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you hear about it in certain ways, such as like um, like the Bernie Madoff scandal. Like it's, it's more yeah. tied to like individuals now or like that. The recent thing that happened with GameStop or GameStop yeah, stock. That's what, yeah, that's, you know, that kind of that's thing. That's what I was thinking happening, about, you right? know, the whole. So, I mean, like, it, it does NFTs still happen. And, and I think. Yeah, I think it, just in the 80s, it was that's that massive, you know... Like a boom of... Boom of Wall Street greed. Yeah. And I'm not exactly sure what the, the cause of that was. Maybe somebody who's older, maybe somebody's doing a, like a 1981 movie rewind or a 71 movie rewind can <laughs> enlighten us on that. Um, yeah, I, I just know <laughs> that this became showcased in movies from like you know basically like 80 1985 and then it started to die down maybe 10 years later or less because i don't see a lot of movies about this except for maybe you know like wolf of wall street or something like that right which is like playing off that era of like the yuppie which is yeah that was like the big thing back i know it's all and then other stuff that we've seen within the past five to ten years but they're all based off of real life Right. Happenings. I don't see anything that's fictional that's about mergers and acquisitions now. Yeah, I think there may like just this, be I less guess. of an appetite for seeing that type of like corporate greed on and camera. Yeah. Or trying to glorify it in any sort of way. So, like, even something like Wall Street, sort of like, you, even though Gordon Gecko was, you know, a more extreme version of yeah, Lawrence yeah, Garfield was... and like legitimately ruthless. Yeah, you know? I mean, the... he was still fascinating to watch, this... and, and it's <laughs> it had some sort of an appeal to him. Like seeing this asshole rise to get more money, right? 
and become more of an asshole. But like Danny yeah. DeVito didn't play the asshole as well. Not in this. In this movie, like he's more of an asshole in like Taxi than, yeah. than this movie. He wasn't as ruthless. Yeah, and I, I kind of wonder what the, like the it, rationale was. I don't know was. if they wanted him to be likable or I think what? that's what it is. I, I was trying to think about why he was cast in this or why you, you know he may have been put in this role, and I think a lot of it has to do with who he played in Taxi, t- yeah. Taxi in the TV show because he played this unbelievable jerk who also yeah. had a hidden heart of gold at times. You know, so you knew that he could play both because he had, you know, exhibited the, you know, the, um, I'm trying to think of a better word than just ruthless, <laughs> you know, like, you know, just the, the complete jerk demanding commandeering boss. And then, you know, who still, you know, showed empathy and sympathy towards the other castmates when, whenever needed. So he had that ability and, and. I, I do think that his size did have a part in it. I don't know much about the original play in terms of who was cast in that role or what the original intention was, but I do think that his size was probably part of it too. Yeah, I, we can talk about that later. But yeah, I know who played okay. his part in the play. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about that in a second because I, the. The impression I was getting is that, like, Norman Jewison and um, I don't know who else might have been involved in the casting probably chose DeVito because of his size, because they it, it sort of, like, personifies, like, the like political Napoleon, cartoons. Like a Napoleon, Napoleon yeah. complex, like this like a Napoleon short type of a man, thing, or like a boss big personality. type of a character where you can yeah. sort of, like, tie back into that sort of, like, mentality, even subconsciously. I feel like that might have been part of it, too. Okay, yeah. But, yeah, it doesn't have the same balance in this movie. He exhibits some humanity near the end of the movie. Yeah, at that, you know, their last hearing or speech that he gave. Just to a degree. But, like, it's at a point where... There's no chance for any sympathy for his character. Like, he's just been this total dickhead the mm-hmm. entire time, and he's the main character, so we're just following along this dickhead that we don't like. But he doesn't and then play, we're supposed to like, a scary guy. He's not as scary as No, you he's would... not yelling and angry about things. He's, he's sort of, he's just like, you know, that's the other like, thing. Oh, this is what I'm going to do to you, so just do it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing about maybe 80s office culture movies or TV shows, mm-hmm. you know, when he first comes into the office, this is like one of the first scenes when he comes yeah. into the office and all of the his workers and his assistants or whatever, they're all just standing around waiting for him to get off the elevator. Yeah. And like then he's walking the king or something. Yeah. yeah. And, but I've that you know, like working girl is kind of like that, too, where. Mm-hmm. The same thing. The boss comes off the elevator. Everyone stops what they're doing and kind of stands up and greets them while they walk down the hallway. And then they're like, okay, get to work. And then everyone goes back to whatever they were doing. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that I don't is, know. Is that that's just like an eighties office know, culture thing? Remnant of of older Hollywood, I guess. I don't know. Just this weird weird thing that probably only happens in movies or just. And very I don't. Bold. I mean, if that <laughs> happens in real life, you maybe forty years ago. I would like to know. <laughs> yeah. If anybody has any insight on that. <laughs> I would like to know that because, I mean, I work in an office and we're not doing, like, partners are not walking down the hallways while we stand and clap yeah. and say, hey, hello, Mr. So-and-so, like, welcome, blah blah Yeah, there's probably very <laughs> few, like, highly narcissistic bosses who are actually like that. <laughs> Otherwise, I mean... Or, yeah, I'm not stepping to the... Yeah. It would probably be like, if you aren't working while I walk past you, then you're fired immediately because you you should be working for me at all times. I feel like that would be more common. So, yeah, DeVito, he's fine, but he's just, you know, they wanted Louie from Taxi. Mm -hmm. They did not get Louie from Taxi. They got halfway. Yeah. Yeah. They got a guy eating donuts and playing with the slinky. Yeah. And giving a monologue to the camera at the very opening and then never addressing the camera since. No other narration. I thought that was kind of weird, too. I thought he sort of did that sometimes. Oh, well, because sometimes when he would get up in the morning and he would look up as if he's looking in the camera, but it's him looking at his computer. Yeah, he's looking at the computer. Like he's talking to his computer named Carmen. Carmen. Which, yeah, the one where he gets up from bed and he reaches over and you think that he's in bed with someone and then he's like, oh, yeah, it makes you think as if he's with someone. Right. But he's just typing on his computer because his computer is like arm's length from his bed. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, I like to hear this, Carmen. Like, I'm up two points or whatever. Exactly. So yeah, it's his, it's his stock computer that he keeps right next to his bed. Like wherever he goes right. too, it's next to his off. I mean, his desk, and then I don't know wherever he is. It's like his computer is within arm's length. Yeah, because I mean, that's his through line to money. Yeah, yeah. And, you know the people in in that era that was they were the ones who had that immediate feedback at all times. He had the TV in his limo, you know, like. The, these are the type yeah, of people who have a, a that car phone immediate information available like to them. Yeah. I did appreciate that the computer was at least realistic. You know, it wasn't like some weird BS graphics. Yeah. You see in a lot it of looked as if it was a DOS type of yeah. thing. <laughs> Everything looked like it was completely realistic and, and good, so... Carmen they was have, a good character. Yeah. <laughs> we got one <laughs> yeah, good. out of how many. We got one good character. Um, I think going back financially, though, the other thing that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, aside from just the fact that they they assume a certain amount of knowledge of financial matters and Wall Street matters to really kind of make sense of the movie, is that the little guy, the every man that's being picked on, is this dude who has a hundred million dollars worth of assets. That's kind of weird to me. Like, yeah, he's kind of like employing the whole town, but just cause he's nice doesn't mean he's the little guy. He's the little guy compared to DeVito, mm-hmm. but it's, it's still weird. Like this is a massive corporation and the way that they phrase it is like, if this one division goes away, this division, which by the way is losing money, 
then you will still have all of these other millions of dollars and multiple other companies. And so, like, that whole framing of the argument is just not a good place to start for me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Gregory Peck is the owner of that company. Yeah. So he's uh, making his second appearance on the podcast, and it will be the last, I believe, oh, we for him. checked him off the list for the year, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he plays a man named Andrew Yorgi. Jorgie. Jorgensen, Jorgensen, um, who owns this company, uh, and he's married to B. Sullivan, uh, played by Piper Laurie, mm-hmm. and she doesn't have any real role in the movie either. I thought for the longest, I did not know they were married until, you know, Kate... Penelope Ann Miller came in. Yeah. Because she was like, let me call my daughter. But I thought she was his assistant or, like, secretary or right-hand woman. Yeah, there's a lot that goes unexplained, especially in terms of the fighting. But it didn't really explain much until basically when Penelope Ann Miller was over at their house and you find out that, you know, Mm. B is her mom, but... Jorgie is her stepdad. Right. And that's not, like, spelled out in any way. Not until, like, almost, like, halfway or almost near the end. I didn't know that they were married (laughs) until that point, basically, when she was like, oh. I got a hint, like, like, at the very beginning when they call her in the first, because they're like, well, she is family after all. But I thought... B but, was just saying her family, not, you know, they, like their family, whatever. Yeah, it, it was kind of tough to follow in that way. But, I mean, they don't resolve things. Like, they they allude in that first conversation where they say, oh, she's family after all. You know, mm-hmm. that there's bad blood between Yorgi and Kate. Yeah. But I, they, don't, they explain don't explain what, what that it is, is. Ever. And I don't know if that's in the play or not. Or, yeah, they don't go in the history... Like, maybe, I mean, how old was Kate when her mom and Yorgi got married? I mean, was it during, like, a weird time? I mean, what happened to her bio dad? Are they divorced? Did he die? Right. Like, why are they sort of estranged? Yeah. Even though they're, like, a helicopter away, I guess. (sighs) She takes a helicopter like, into... Was there some, like, thing where they didn't want her to be a lawyer? Like, I don't know what... Yeah. It seems like, yeah, they don't talk. And we yeah, don't know why. really talk for, I don't know, how... They don't say how many years. It's just like we we can call Kate, even though we haven't spoken to her for X amount of years, because she's a lawyer, and she's the only lawyer we know. Right. And, and I wish... Which is also weird for a $100 million company to have to rely on stepdaughter type of person to represent to your take company. the case, yeah. But the other thing about that is, like, I feel like it really would have helped to explain what the bad blood was. Because then we would have had any sort of sense of the motivations for Kate's actions. And so, like, we don't know what side she's on fully yeah i don't i still don't <laughs> no i still don't either and like when she first met the weird the other weird thing is like when she first met uh danny danny DeVito, mr garfield 
mm-hmm. it seemed like they knew each other too. That's what I thought, and I thought they like she introduces herself, and he says, were, "Yeah, I know like, who you are." But then they talk as if they were That's dating I, in the past. Yeah, I thought as if they were past lovers, and you know, she she like a girl, like an ex girlfriend, yeah. and she's like, "Oh, I know all about you," type of thing. That's exactly what I thought it was. But no. That's what it kind of... The way she just came into his office and she knew everything about him. Yeah, and, and just some of the, the... And they kind of sort of had this weird... I, I don't... That's maybe part well, of their... Yeah, the, the early sexual harassment that occurs in yeah, that yeah. scene, too, I think was also part of why I thought that. Because, like, in that first meeting, she's like, put your hand between your legs and... Yeah. Like say down boy or whatever it was the whole sexual stuff in this movie was like really weird to me and gross didn't like it i didn't like it either it and then i know we're going to like another scene that really skeeved me out was when they were i guess they went on a date you mean or the, she came over to the, his house for dinner restaurant or no no this is okay. when she's at his house oh okay and he's like the mushroom dip yeah, I guess so, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, she's leaving, and then he's... They talk about, you know... You know, he's just coming on to her, and he's like, you know, if oh, yeah, if yeah. you come first... Yeah. Like, if we have sex and you... Like, I thought that was, like, a disgusting conversation between two people. Because it is. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. So. Like, any people, like, if any, if I heard any conversation about, like, it, if yeah. you, it, let's have sex. And then she was like, okay, well, what if we both come together right. while we have sex? What's going to happen? And yeah, I was like, this is, this, deal? this is gross. Yes. Yeah, it, it, and it's a as, weird proposition I don't know. where I know this isn't meant for children. I know this is not. A, I know we no, didn't see this as kids. Yeah. It's oh, I'm glad it's R rated, and not that PG thirteen type yeah. of on the wall yeah, type of thing you, like Doc Hollywood. Maybe clarify though. Yeah, so like Garfield proposes, uh, you know, a way to settle the deal instead of going through lawyers, instead of like going through financial arrangements. Basically, like if you sleep with me and I come first, then I'll agree to your side of the deal, but if you come first, then you 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 take my side, whatever. So and that's when she was like, "What if we?" Like I know she's trying to you know play this hard to get. And yeah. But then why, if anyone said anything like that to me in any professional setting, like that's automatically just sexual harassment and that's like half of the conversations that they have yeah but she's like involving something of like how he's like picturing picturing her naked or like you know thinking about her in in some sort of sexual manner and uh i mean she feels like she has to take it in order to get through yeah to get what ordeal she for, wants for, her for family. this settlement or agreement between the two of them, but between, it is or her family's it is business and his gross, yeah. And I hate that the movie presents it in a way to make it look like at times like she's it's okay. falling for him, yeah. Because they do still meet up like almost every day when they do go to that sushi restaurant, yeah. And they kiss at one point, and it seems to be mutual. 
and she listens to him play the violin at yeah, night and they, on and they the phone, sing. and she's like singing and smiling and laughing about it. It's like, don't do like, this. She's, I don't know if she's doing that to make the business deal better, or like she has to flirt to get her way, or... I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's plot progression. Like, maybe it is that. Maybe it is, like, supposed to be part of her chess game. Like, is she really falling in love with him? Because... I don't think so, because, like, later on they have that scene where she's with her actual boyfriend-type person, Chad or Brad or whoever it was, (laughs) right? But then that was a weird thing. And then Garfield comes in and proposes marriage right before she goes to the opera. Like, right in front of the guy, and the guy does nothing. He's just there standing, watching the... And then they're, quote, whispering, but it's like a loud whisper, like, hey, don't go to the... (laughs) to this dinner and don't go to the opera with why are you going with this guy and the guy is like five feet away right and he's not saying hey this is my girlfriend or maybe because he this knows dude? that this guy isn't actually a threat to him in that way maybe i don't know or maybe just because the and then he proposes totally marriage to her while he's just the the boyfriend or her mm-hmm. date is just that you don't even see him. He's just off on the screen yeah, to the right or left of the. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. But I mean, at that moment when she when she's getting proposed to, she's like, "Why you have feelings for me?" Like she, you know, like, like she, isn't it like she comes obvious? off like with I don't such. Know. So I mean, that makes me think that she was never falling for him in the first place, even though the movie made it seem like she was. And so was the intention just to add the drama for the audience, even though it didn't exist for the characters? Was it supposed to be some sort of a chess move that we just weren't in on? I don't know. But it was bad. It's all bad. The the main thing is they just don't explain any of the relationships in the movie. Not the interfamily one between Yorgi and Kate and B. Nothing between Kate and uh, Larry. Like, nothing. Mm-hmm. So then we also have um, the whole takeover part of things, which also didn't fully make a whole lot of sense. All these different moves that are going on to try to... Uh, uh, basically... Garfield is acquiring more and more shares and he's going to take over the company if he gets enough position and then liquidate it and all these people are going to be out of jobs. Mm -hmm. And they just keep on having the same stupid conversation over and over and over again where Kate is trying to do something legally to help Yorgi get through this ordeal. And he keeps on saying, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give up this. I don't want to make this deal because I won't, you know, I don't want this bad guy to win. I'm not going to give in no matter what. They're going to buy us out. And that's, I don't know, that's 30% of the conversations in the movie. <laughs> it just got yeah. boring and repetitive. Yeah. The other thing that was confusing, I guess, near the end where all the workers had to vote so, and they were also shareholders themselves. Yeah. I mean, so that, every single worker which is possible. in his company, 
I get. I just never Depending heard of on that. How they I set it up, yeah. The workers have some sort of shares. Other people have shares, okay. and so they have this big town meeting, and basically they're going to have it up to a vote to find out which person should have control of the company. I don't. I don't fully understand how that all works either. Yeah. In terms of corporate buyouts, whatever. It made for a scene where they both give big speeches at the end. Right? Yeah. Um, and they both make decent speeches, at least. I, I mean, yeah, it makes... They both made sense. I get it. Yeah. Like... Both positions make sense. And they're presented okay. But... And this is why Gregory Peck is in the movie, too, because he got to make this big, heartfelt speech in favor of the everyman. Mm-hmm. You like, know? I'm the low, like, the... Because he's the perpetual good guy this company from the ground type movies. of thing. Yeah. And I'm a family man. This is a family business. Right. This we don't want, our you know, this corporate identity. greed coming into our company. Right. I get, I understand, but it's just yeah. like I don't really care. I it's, guess. Yeah, it, at that point, completely checked out because yeah. of all the other stuff that's happened that just was repetitive and. Not yeah, a lot of back funny. and forth of the same thing for an hour. More than that, yeah. And it's not funny either. And this is supposed to yeah. be something of a comedy. I was not. I found nothing funny. <laughs> and then I was also thinking, like, is this supposed to be like a romantic comedy? Is this supposed oh, to be? God, I hope not. Um, <laughs> I, I that's what I was like. Who is watching this? Because it did make do pretty well. It's yeah. So the way we're this picking is like our top movies, one hundred. It's top fifty. Oh jeez. <laughs> so yeah, the uh, just as a recap for anyone who's new to this podcast, the first five episodes were. Some of the uh, random selection of the top 25 box office hits. The second five episodes, including this one, are 26 through 50. And this was number 50 okay. in the box office for the year, making $25.6 million on a budget of $5 million, I believe. Maybe I have that wrong. But Anyways, they made a profit. Yeah, either way, top 50 movie of the year, so people were watching it. Yeah, I just don't... I mean, maybe it was people who were fans of the play. I think it's... I think the crowd would skew older for this one. I think it's... Yeah, people who either were familiar with the play and knew that it was supposed to be good, and so they wanted to see some version of it, because not everyone can get off to New York to see it um i think that's part of it and yeah i think the other part of it is just you know people who see you know they're like oh danny devito's in it and and he's funny yeah and they're like oh i i like these people i'm gonna go see this and i'm gonna trick myself into liking it or maybe they didn't like it i don't know um i know i didn't but (laughs) it's not yeah, it's, it's not funny, though. It, it, like, the jokes are the most basic jokes you can possibly think of. It, like, these types of things where DeVito's in a room full of lawyers and he's yelling at them about how inept they are. And then as soon as he leaves the room, they all start talking at once. And that's the joke, is that they're all talking at once and over each other. Like, 
it's that kind of But you mundane. see that, like, all the time. Exactly. Yeah. There's, like, nothing new. There's nothing new it's and original normal. in this humor. I don't know. Yeah. And then there's, like... Moderate I think racist the, jokes against the, Japanese people oh, all over yeah. the place too. Yeah, it was like, was, just not, well, even when they're in the sushi restaurant, yeah. too. Yeah, there's all kinds of like little jabs at the Japanese, which I guess also is probably a carryover from '80s business movies. Yeah, uh, that's sort of a stereotype that kind of just. The only over thing that too. I may. Find funny was you know like his assistants, but that wasn't really funny. They were just kind of they were over him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were sick of like him. their yeah their response to him all the time. He's like, I need this, this, and this, and they're you know they're kind of attitudey in a way, and they would give him attitude to his face, but he didn't really care. Yeah. Uh, his main assistant was played by Mo Gaffney. Which I like her a lot, and I wish they kind of utilized her comedy more. Yeah, I I agree. Um, And she was known at this time for the Kathy and Mo show, and Kathy and Jimmy apparently also is in this movie somewhere, uncredited. I I didn't see her, but according to the cast list, she's there, which means that's her second appearance in the 1991 movie Rewind. I know After her Fisher from, King. yeah, I know her from AbFab, like she was mm-hmm. the yeah. friend. She would sometimes be on that show. So yeah. I always and she think she also had a talk show on Comedy Central for a short time mm. as well. So yeah, I was like, okay, I like Mo Gaffney. I'm going to see some funny stuff. And there really wasn't. No, didn't get a chance to do anything. Unless maybe they cut it all out. And she did have some. It could be. Yeah, there's probably some good, like, outtakes and bloopers and whatnot. Yeah, I need to see some bloops from, yeah. <laughs> from this. If anything needs Give us some, some bloopers, bloopers so this. we can like a movie more. <laughs> Every movie needs bloopers. Every single movie needs bloopers. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, in general, the cast just didn't do it for me. Obviously, you know, the movie wasn't very funny, but the cast just didn't do it for me either. Like, we talked about Danny DeVito already. Gregory Peck was whatever. He was there. He was there. Um, so was Piper Laurie. But Penelope Ann Miller just looked so bored and disinterested at all times. I don't know if you got that impression from her, but it just seemed like yeah. she was just saying the words in the most droll way she could possibly speak them. Okay. And she looked like she was tired like, she was just like, I'm getting paid to do this. Yeah. Like, she knew, dumbass like... Dumbass role. Yeah, it's like, I'm getting sexually harassed in this dialogue, and I don't want to give it any more attention than it needs to. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It seemed like she knew what was up, but she was still going through the motions. I yeah, don't, I don't know. Just not a good performance by anyone. Right. And, and it's a good cast. Yeah, I mean, I like her. I've seen her in other things. I like all these people, I guess, in other movies. Yeah. Or TV shows. And I'll also say um, the music didn't help things either. The score? The score. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I have a little bit of a theory after looking up the credits of the composer. But just to to give us some background, like, the, the... 
the music score in this was what you would find in your typical normal 80s 90s comedy movie it's like that jaunty beat and mm-hmm. like horn and string bass whatever that kind of thing then he also mixes in a lot of like uh gershwin inspired riffs mm-hmm. i guess just because the movie half takes place in new york and it I don't know. You got it. Yeah, you need that. You got the usual like pomp and circumstance uh, of horns playing. So when you see the New York skyline. So that's pretty much the whole thing, and I feel like they also intended a lot of the comedy to come from the music at in certain scenes, or to accentuate and make you know be the punchline to a joke, which I hate when that happens. Yeah. Um, but I have a, I have a theory as to why I think that this is your typical normal jaunty music. It's because the composer, David Newman does a ton of movies and he's probably created that standard that he just reuses over and over again in all of his movies. He's done a lot and they're all over the place. Nine movies in 1991. That's insane. I don't want to list just, them all, but yeah. we will see him again. We're going to see him at least at eight more times after eight this. Eight more times. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll have to like compare this movie's score to the other movie's score. Yeah, if we if We, we have can. to remember. I know that, uh, yeah, he's coming up in a couple more episodes for us. So, yeah, I mean, he's part of a, a very musical family. His cousin is Randy Newman. Yeah. And he is the son of a nine-time Oscar-winning composer, Alfred Newman. Several other family members are also composers. And so, all together, they're setting the stage for movie music. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they've taken over taken over the format. So, this I just didn't... did not appeal to me. But he's obviously very talented and very much in demand. Just, uh, you know... If he shoots them out that fast, maybe that's why he's in demand. It's not so much quality, but quantity. Yeah. So in this movie, Danny DeVito's character is, like, obsessed with donuts. He says that they are basically the only thing... uh, Dogs, donuts, and money are the only thing that give you unconditional acceptance. You didn't see any dogs, though. We didn't see any dogs, but he loves money the most because Mm -hmm. they don't make you fat and they don't poop all over the floor. Uh, but he's still obsessed with donuts. Yeah, you don't see dogs. I mean, that might have made him more likable. Yeah, if, if he had have. a dog in his apartment. Yeah, or in riding with him in the limo or carried with him at all times, something. But Yeah, so yeah, yeah when I was reading donuts. about this, Daniel DeVito was on a diet and these were sugar-free donuts. But then I was also thinking, did he had did this movie have some sort of partnership or something with Dunkin' Donuts cuz they were all Dunkin' Donuts. I would have to imagine, yeah. They they must have been sponsored. I mean, they have to at least have given permission to use their brand name, but I mean I would not be surprised if money was given Yeah, because he would, like, open a drawer, and there's, like, six donuts in there. It's Mm -hmm. just they're everywhere. They're everywhere. I don't know if that's explained in the play. I don't know I think it's just a callback to that line. Dogs, donuts. Yeah, but, like, what's the deal with the slinky from the opening, too? He's just playing with it? Is that just, like, an 80s thing? Or something, or? I don't know. 
like mentally he's kind of childlike in a way. It kind of gave me Arthur vibes, the movie Arthur. Mm-hmm. And not, um, not his butler Arthur. I know that's a character what, in the movie. I know that was the other thing because I was I I was thinking is this like Arthur the movie and then all of a sudden his butler comes in I was like oh this is like Arthur and then he said Arthur <laughs> and I and I was crack that that made me laugh but that was like unintentional yeah an but internal I don't know. laugh from your own mind rather yeah, than the movie yeah but then I was like is that a callback to the movie Arthur <laughs> maybe yeah because that's like his only friend basically is his butler arthur and i wish i knew more about about uh arthur right all we know is that because um, they you know he'll, he'll get you some chicken soup or something yeah. if you're laying on your bed but his even the like his accent he's like hey you want some chicken soup or something you want some chicken soup or something boss <laughs> like he's trying to sound like he's in the mob yeah i want to know more about arthur <laughs> Just more. I want a backstory on how (laughs) he became a butler, like a retired mobster, now working for uh, like a Wall Street guy. He just really needs money or something. Who knows? Like, are they friends? This movie's not gonna explain any relationship. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I just I want to know about Arthur now. We also don't really get a whole lot of information about Yorgi's friend and uh, Bill Coles, played by Dean Jones, who's set to acquire the company once Yorgi retires. And he has probably the biggest character shift in the whole movie, I guess, because he's like trying to... He's trying to convince Yorgi to agree to a deal... Uh, to give the company up, and Yorgi's obviously very bullheaded and won't do so. And then at some point, Bill goes to Lawrence to give him his voting rights at this proxy meeting because he's selfish like everyone else or something Mm. like that. And that's like the big reveal is that, oh man, he doesn't want to be penniless when all this goes to hell. Mm Mm-hmm. He wants to have some sort of financial security because he's not retiring in a couple of years, which. So there's, you know, he's switching sides, but it's not that crazy of a character development. I don't know. But yeah, he's, he's another character who just exists to add a little bit more flavor to the story, but it there's no flavor. It's, a, it's an unglazed donut. Uh. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> that joke was an unglazed donut um, but that's it That that's the movie I think I mean yeah the we can talk about the speech we sort of did but you know the shareholders slash workers of that company they vote for Larry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We didn't really talk about the ending. Yeah, they they vote for greed. They overall. vote for greed. Yeah. yeah. Which I mean makes sense from a shareholder perspective, which is what he explains. He's basically like, "You're here about the money. The reason you have shares is because you wanted money. You don't care what the business is. 
you yeah. thought you could make a profit. Here's your chance to make a profit. If you don't, this is a dying industry. You're going to be stuck with nothing. That's basically. I mean, the, he did a good job telling these people what because yeah. they were all they all kind of hated him in the beginning. Yeah. Because Yorgi hates him. Yeah, you're the bad guy in the situation. And but after like, that Look. speech, they were like, "Huh, okay." <laughs> like you're wrapped you up sense. in emotions. Don't get wrapped up in your emotions for the company and the people here. Yeah, this company this doesn't is not give, going to last yeah, regardless saying, of like, my involvement. This company doesn't give a shit about you, basically. Yeah, yeah, this company did not give back to you when you were in times of trouble. So why should you give them the same courtesy? Yeah. So very good arguments from both sides. And yeah, Larry wins in the end um, and does not get the girl. But does he? <laughs> does he? I don't, you know, at the end, the very end of the movie, they Kate calls him for lunch, I think. And she's like, this is strict, strictly business. And you, yeah. you know where we're going to meet. The end. But it was but she because said she it, had a business proposition with the oh. three Japanese businessmen who were whispering to each other. Okay. Right? So there is, while they were doing the votes... You got these three Japanese businessmen, yeah, and they're all whispering watching. in secret, and like, oh, what's going to happen now? Turns out they own some sort of factory that makes tires, and they want to convert the factory to use it for their like airbags, airbags or something stuff, like that. Yeah. And so it is a business deal that benefits both parties. But I don't think they get together. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna. Kinda, I'm gonna <laughs> hope that they don't get together. I just, I think she was just kind of flirting in a way when she called him up, say, hey. I have a business opportunity, opportunity yeah. for you. This is strictly strictly business, and you know where to meet me. Yeah. And then he, Garfield kind of blushes and smiles, and that's the end. Yeah. As if that's like a, his way. You watch him eat a donut, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Chair, he right? talks to Carmen again. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> Something's happening on the screen behind the credits. Yeah. And it's like he's his back is turned, and I think like he's, he's happy that she called because yeah. I think he did profess his love to her. But did, <sighs> does he really love her? Do they really love each other? <laughs> I don't think they love each other. They love money, and I think, I think, he, yeah, I think he loves her because she's similar to him in a way, and the way they're just very, right. they want to win. They're both, yeah, business-minded, and they both, yeah, have have machinations of power, and that's what draws him to her. Yeah. And hopefully she just sees, you know, this guy who's way too old for her, <laughs> and, and kind of an asshole, um, and leave it at that. So that's, yeah, that's, that's the official end of the movie. No bloopers or anything. Cast and crew highlights that we haven't talked about already. Uh, again, directed by Norman Jewison. He um, has the Oscar in 1999 for the Irving G. Thalberg Award. He never won uh, an award for one of his actual movies, but he was nominated a few times for The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming. In the Heat of the Night, Fiddler on the Roof, and Moonstruck he was also nominated for. And then also got Golden Globe nominations for uh, In the Heat of the Night, Fiddler on the Roof, and The Hurricane, which he also did. Um, so he's also done a few other movies like A Soldier Story, Thomas Crown Affair, and Rollerball, both the original versions of those movies. So he's, he's a very prolific 
director and he, he tends to take on projects that um, have some sort of like a meeting meaning or you know message to them uh, I just think whatever message was in this one completely missed the mark um, Alvin Sargent the screenwriter has an Oscar win um, actually two of them one for Julia which is a movie I'm not really very familiar with but it stars a uh, Jane Fonda and Vanessa Redgrave from, like, the 1970s. Okay. Uh, and then also Ordinary People. And he was also nominated for Paper Moon. We'll see him again one more time. He helped with the story on What About Bob, <laughs> which is a 1991 movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and also another quick note is that he's the brother of a longtime SNL writer, Herb Sargent. Okay. I think it was interesting. I wish he would have brought Herb on to help with this from Bring the comedy jokes. perspective. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more. Uh, and then more recently, he's been involved with the Spider-Man movies, 2 and 3, the Tobey Maguire ones, and then also the 2012 reboot. He wrote all of those. So, very different. I also want to mention that the cinematography is actually probably some of the best parts of this movie, like the directing and the cinematography, and that's yeah. because it's Haskell Wexler, who's very well known in the, the film student film community Hmm. uh he won oscars for who's afraid of virginia wolf and bound for glory also nominated for one flew over the cuckoo's nest uh maitwan i'm probably mispronouncing that i apologize if i am uh and then also blaze so very well known well shot movie here uh do we want to talk quickly about jerry sterner who wrote the play since we're talking about those types of people yeah so instead of me, I couldn't really find anything news or noteworthy that happened this week, but I did find a couple articles about the play, the allure of it, about Jerry Sterner, and the first article I found was from October 2016. It's from the Long Wharf Theater okay. Review. <laughs> an article that is all about the allure of other people's money. So this, we kind of glossed over this about, you know, the appeal of Wall Street and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So I'm just going to read a couple paragraphs and we can give this more information on the website with, and I'll give this, this and the other article I found on the website. So Wall Street has long since captured the pop culture imagination, tales of wealth, power, and excess, and of hubris, greed, and loss is the stuff of modern-day Greek tragedy. We've seen it all on the big screen, from the collapse of the housing market portrayed in The Big Short from 2015, Mm -hmm. to the downfall in The Wolf of Wall Street in 2013, and the granddaddy of them all, Oliver Stone's 1987 Wall Street, which made the famous phrase, greed is good. In an age where the shrinking middle class and income gap became between the super rich and everyone else are hot button issues, Jerry Sterner's play, which was, he wrote in 1986 about Larry the Liquidator, 
for the established but outmoded New England wire and cable company resonates with the national conversation. Other People's Money premiered off-Broadway at the Minetta Lane Theater in 1989 at the tail end of the decade of greed and became a mega-hit on off-Broadway, running for 990 performances. This was very well known in the late 80s. The play was... With Mercedes Ruel, she played the daughter lawyer. Yeah, Kate Sullivan, the main lawyer. And I'm assuming she did that for all of the 990 showings. I wish she would have been in this movie. Yeah, I would have liked to see her, but, you know, maybe she was doing The Fisher's King. (laughs) I mean, she was, I mean, you never know, I don't know. Yeah, I think she would have brought a much better dynamic. But then I don't think her with Danny DeVito would be, like, a good pairing. It would have to be, like, a whole other Larry the Liquidator. I don't know. I I, I could just see her being much better at playing off of him and giving it back to him. Yeah, she, she would be better. Yeah. And... On the during the play, Kevin Conway was Larry the Liquidator. I'm not sure if you know who he is. What else has he been in? Do you know? All I know right now, I'm watching The Good Wife. He's in The Good Wife. (laughs) 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 He plays he plays like a dickhead lawyer. So I'm like, okay, I can see that. He's in a bunch of other stuff, and I I guess I'll I'll show you later. Yeah, and we'll put it on the website. (laughs) By the mid-1980s, corporate takeovers were on the rise. In early January of 1986, the L.A. Times reported that about $125 billion in mergers and acquisitions occurred in 1985, an amount up by almost $75 billion from just two years prior. The spree was thought to be due mostly of a combination of easy financing, a lax attitude on mergers by federal regulators, the decline of some industries and shareholders' sky-high expectations. Sterner says, When I wrote Other People's Money in 1986, the takeover boom wasn't hysterical yet, but I could see it coming. And that's what made him write this play. In another article by The Playbill, which was June because of a heart attack. Mm. And this is just like a dedication to how great other people's money was on the off-Broadway. Maybe. It may just be a product of its time. I mean, it could just be something that just doesn't doesn't hit anymore. Yeah. I mean, I would still like to see... You're not in that moment of... Mercedes Ruel as right, Kate. yeah. If you could go back in time and see the original cast or something, then that would be worthwhile. I just I couldn't imagine it would be different enough to make it worth my time. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious know. why it's just really well known and celebrated in the Broadway yeah circuit. I mean, I don't I, really I still think it probably is like. Some yeah. people who have money, they they like art that <laughs> and it doesn't not, have a whole lot of depth to it. Yeah. And, you know, they trick themselves into thinking it's amazing and then they tell their friends and it steamrolls. Another thing I found on a little trivia 
and I'm going to call back to an older movie that we talked about a few weeks ago mm-hmm. on the Doc Hollywood 1991 VHS. Mm-hmm. This movie was the first promo. Well, I wish we would have had the VHS. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and it showed Danny DeVito's speech and the song... It's Money and I Love It by Randy Newman appeared in the promo trailer, but not in the film. Wow. Yeah. So, Randy Newman. Yeah, yeah, cousin of David Newman. So, there was a Randy Newman song playing in that promo of the Doc Hollywood VHS that we do not have. (laughs) Oh, well. We missed out. Yeah, at least we got Murder 101 to look forward to. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, from the Cape Fear episode. Right. I have a couple other quick cast things. Okay. So we'll just talk. Uh, everybody knows Gregory Peck. Don't need to go over who he is, what he's done. He's done a bunch. He's an Oscar winner for To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, Penelope Ann Miller, I forgot that she was in Kindergarten Cop. But yeah. She's like the main person in Kindergarten Cop, uh-huh. aside from Arnold. Uh, Golden Globe nomination for Carlito's Way. Uh, also in Adventures in Babysitting, Big Top Pee-wee, Awakenings, which we saw the preview for a couple weeks back. She was also uh, married to Will Arnett before he had any acting credits. I had no idea I that was a thing. saw that, and I... Well, yeah, when I was looking her up, and I saw that she was married to Will Arnett, and I was like, the Will Arnett? Yeah. <laughs> the Will Arnett that yeah. we know and now? I, and I tried looking up his credits to see if he had been in, any, in anything, if like maybe they met on a set or something, but I don't think he had any screen or acting credits until after their divorce in 1995. Yeah, they were only married for a year, and I'm just curious how they met and what happened. Yeah, so weird little celebrity gossip, I guess don't typically get into that. Deep uh, dive. <laughs> do a deep dive on yeah. that. Uh, Piper Laurie, Oscar nominated for Hustler. Carrie, Children of Lesser God. Golden Globe winner for Twin Peaks. Yes, she's well known, but she, you didn't but, really see her do man, much in this like, movie. Yeah, she had like five lines of dialogue and just completely underutilized. Dean Jones kind of went against character in this movie. The guy who played Bill Coles, he was a Golden Globe nominee. For the Million Dollar Duck back in 1971. Uh, he's done a lot of kid stuff, especially with Disney. He's in the Love Bug movies, um, the, That Darn Cat, The Shaggy DA, those are all him. Uh, he also won a Grammy back in the day for the best children's album, along with the Okie Dokie Brothers for a song called Can You Canoe? Mm, okay. <laughs> uh, here he's the semi villain, I guess. Um, and then I do want to pause on the credits briefly. It's going to be very brief. And talk about one of those three businessmen. One of those three Japanese businessmen. Oh, okay. So since the uh, the Japanese kind of got a raw deal in this movie, I wanted to give one of them their due. Uh, Ken Kensei, whose real name is Noburo Kataoka. He played Japanese businessman number two. <laughs> None of them had any lines. They were all just Yeah, they were all just whispering, whispering so in a corner. He was the one in the middle, evidently. Okay, <laughs> number two. Seeing. I don't think we even saw their faces. I think we saw the back of their heads and profiles. Um, but anyway, he is a world champion kendo uh, artist. Okay. Kendo uh, uh, wooden sword fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also has been running the New York City Kendo Club for several decades. 
So he's he's a champion martial artist, um, and he also performs Aido. I'm mispronouncing that I A I D O, Aido, which is the art of drawing the sword. Um, so he's not only an occasional actor, but uh, a very well accomplished champion martial artist. So wanted to give him his yeah. respects, his credit. Yeah, so there you are, Ken Kensei or Noburo Kataoka. Uh, awards talk. I got nothing. There's nothing. Oh, I was like, there was an award for no, this. Nothing. <laughs> okay. It didn't. It. You can have all the money you want. You aren't getting other people's awards. Um. So we can move on to any other pop culture of the week. Yeah, I couldn't find too much, like I said before, any true crimey or newsworthy stuff that happened the week that this movie was released. And I always look up, you know, the top songs or video games or anything TV or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I even tried to look up what was on SNL this weekend, but... It was one of their off It was one of the <laughs> weeks where they didn't have an episode, so maybe we'll show we'll that we'll someday. get there at we'll some point there when there's a September through May mm -hmm. type of release, I suppose. So going on to top song in the U.S. was Mariah Carey's Emotions. Oh, okay. So we got a different song. Yeah. No more Brian Adams for the time being. Not, you bite your tongue because oh, okay. number one song in the UK was Brian Adams. Oh. Everything I do, I do it for you. Okay. So the UK was still listening to him yeah. after uh, like what? Six, we're yeah. we're going on five months. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Too long. Video game wise, I always try to find something for you. A couple of these games, I'm pretty sure you would know. So number the first one was Lemmings was popular around this time October 1991. I played Lemmings a lot on I, the computer. I've never played it. I definitely oh. know of Lemmings. It it's the kind of game that kind of intimidates me a bit. Oh really? Just like the the real time strategy aspect and having like limited resources and yeah. Yeah, you have the to, puzzles. Yeah, the puzzle aspect of it and. Um, time you have to like time your moves and make sure yeah, you yeah. get the right lemmings in the yeah, right spot right. at the right so time they're not to falling sure down through. a cliff and stuff yeah. like that like a thousand at a time yeah so i've never played it but. i yeah i i liked playing this game another one you may or may not know but it was released on the game boy and i know you like game oh, boy game boy is Banishing Racer. Do you know this game? Have I do know it? of it. Yeah, it was not released in the U.S. actually. Oh, okay. Um, there's actually a little bit of debate <laughs> as to whether or not it should be called Banishing Racer or if it's a mistranslation and it should be Vanishing Racer. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's like a... It's like a cutesy little platforming game where yeah. you're playing a car with like eyeballs and stuff and you're trying to make it from one side of the level to the other. And okay. So, uh, yeah, it's supposed to be a really good game. But it was not released in the U.S. Oh, okay. Another one that I'm sure you know is Duke Nukem. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't really play that either. 
because I didn't have a computer that was. I don't think good I played it. I just for that until no way late. People liked it. Yeah. I, I wasn't much into like you know shooting game. I'm still not into shooting type. Games. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not good at the first person shooter yeah. stuff. And back then, I had the Commodore. 64 so uh, mm. you know <laughs> i didn't have a chance to become good at them until it was, until it was too late almost and I, I even looked up what was on tv for this is the first time on our tgif history i guess mm-hmm. where it was a typical four episodes and we've talked about the fourth one. This is probably our third time. But, it, you know, it's Family Matters, Step by Step, Perfect Strangers, and then Baby Talk this time. Yeah, so Baby Talk had, you, you say it was like a year run. So yeah, it makes so sense this, this yeah. was on more than once. It's it, still weird that I don't remember it because I would have been of the age where I was watching I mean, TGF this was the last, the yeah, this was the last show of the TGIF yeah. listing and this is around like 10:30 or 9:30 at night so I don't know maybe there's something better on Nickelodeon or something like all that or whatever but I mean that was typically like snick right mm-hmm. like, you know they didn't do a whole lot on Friday nights they did snick for Saturday night nick so I don't know maybe I must have been changing the channel or maybe I was watching the Bulls games cuz that was you know right at the start of the Jordan yeah, era. the lineup. Yeah. <laughs> so I was probably watching a lot of basketball at that time. Well, yeah, they also didn't have Full House. It was Family Matters Step by Step, then Perfect Strangers. Yeah, it's like near the so end there of Full was House. A, yeah, there was no Full House episode for this week, I guess. On to rankings and ratings. On your one to five star scale, where would you put other people's money? This, I give a one, and this is going to be my first one. Yeah, and you don't go lower than one. No. Uh, Do you? I do. Okay. (laughs) One is my low. One is your low point. Yeah, I do the zero to four star scale. Okay. With half stars. So, you know, um, I'm also giving it a one. I'm giving it a one star. So it's not... There are movies that are going to be worse than this. Yeah, I know. Like, this was shot well. The performance is were boring everything else was boring in this but it was shot well and whatever i guess i I would if you do zero through four should i do zero through five that's up to you because i usually do one two three four five and one is to me is just the worst yeah don't change on my account I'm just going by like what, I would. I'm going I'm by what give film critics do. Right, I know so, you do the film critic thing, and I just do my Goodreads thing. Yeah, and so if one is the bottom of the barrel, then that's fine. Like you know, it's just I'm going to have different levels of one, I guess. Right. Yeah, I mean, on our website, we've been trying to rank them in order. So, like, if you have ten movies that are ranked three, the one that's at the top of the list is going to be the best of the threes. Mm-hmm. You know, so take it, take it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a one uh, for both of us. Yes. I just could go lower. I'm. I know we're gonna find some zeros. Yeah, there's gonna. I know there's stars. gonna be some bad movies coming up. Especially in the direct video side mm-hmm. of things, I'm sure that will happen. But yeah, this is a this is a one star for me. Uh, so every movie is worth watching once. Would you watch this again? No, I will no. not. No. No. I would if there's. 
maybe I'll search on YouTube or something, and if there's, like, a copy of the play, I would probably watch the play and skip around and see what that's about. Sure. But I don't want to watch this movie again. Yeah, no. I'm with you. It's it's not. I'll save it for the other people. I don't want it. Uh, if you out there want to watch other people's money, as of this recording in April 2021, it's available on Cinemax, Digital Rental, VHS, DVD. As always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all the major platforms. Please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. You can email us at 1991moviewrewind at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991moviewrewind. Or go to 1991MovieRewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes, rankings, and more. Next week, we're going to be watching Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. We've been prepping for this one for a while. Yeah, we watched 1 through 5. We've watched 1 through 5. We're on to number 6 here very soon. Uh, and that's available for all of you out there on HBO, Digital Rental, HSDVD. So we'll see you then. Thanks. Thanks.